You are listening to Behind the Ballot Box, Jewish Values and Our Vote, with Rabbi Jesse Olitsky and friends, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about this and other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. And don't forget to vote. Welcome to Behind the Ballot Box, Jewish Values and Our Votes. I'm your host, Rabbi Jesse Olitsky of Congregation Bethel in South Orange, New Jersey. We know that the Jewish vote and Jewish voter is not monolithic, that there are many issues at stake in November's upcoming election on the local, state, and federal level that impact our vote based on Jewish values, Jewish ethics. The issue that many consider to impact the American Jewish community the most is Israel. And today's episode will focus on the American Jewish community's relationship with Israel, Israel policy, and what's at stake in November's upcoming election. I'm excited to invite longtime friend Sethi Kogan to the pod to have a conversation about what's at stake with regards to Israel and Israel policy. Sethi works for AJC, American Jewish Committee, and is the AJC Global Director of Young Leadership. He's also the host of AJC's weekly podcast, People of the Pod. Welcome, Sethi. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Of oh, course. Am I supposed to call you Rabbi Olitsky? No, it's all good. Okay. Um, I think we need to start with really the breaking news over the last couple of weeks, the Abraham Accords and the Trump administration's orchestrating of the, this peace deal uh, with these two Arab nations, with the United Arab Emirates and with uh, Bahrain and really what that means and what this accomplishment really is. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say unreservedly, this is an incredible thing for Israel and for Jews around the world. AJC has been engaging with the Arab Gulf countries for more than 20 years. Um, my colleague, uh, Jason Isaacson, uh, AJC's uh, chief policy and, and diplomatic affairs officer, um, uh, who heads up our, our work in the Gulf, I, I think his first trip to Bahrain was in like 1995. No, no, no it was definitely, it was 1995 was his first trip to, to Bahrain. Um, his first trip to the UAE came a few years after that, I think in, in 2000 maybe. Um, and, and AJC uh, officials and, and lay leaders have been traveling regularly to the Gulf working to kind of lay the groundwork for, uh, for this kind of, of uh, rapprochement between, uh, between those Arab countries and, uh, and Israel. That being said, I don't think there was anyone, uh, ourselves included, uh, who thought that that anything like what we've seen, um, you know, peace accords being signed between between the uh, the Emiratis and the Israelis, and soon between the Bahrainis and the Israelis, that that was on the horizon. Um, right. And especially uh, since it was the first accord signed since Jordan and Israel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jordan, I guess, in '94, in and uh, and you know now it's it's been 26 years, uh, and uh, and finally uh, Israel has added two more uh, states in, in rapid succession, uh, two more Arab countries to its list of uh, of countries which has normalized relations. Some would say, and this is where I want to be devil's advocate and throw this at you for a second. Some are skeptics of the deal. Um, normalizing relations is tremendous, right? There are conversations about um, UAE's airline offering kosher meals. Um, <laughs> I believe it's Yehuda Sarna, who, who is the chief rabbi of the United Arab Emirates. I'm not sure how that happened exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, some would say that there was already 
some sort of relationship between the UAE and Israel, at least among their leaders, unofficially. Um, and this was just sort of dotting I's and crossing T's. Um, so first of all, just because just it's interesting, uh, ha- how it happened with, uh, with, with Yehuda Sarna is that uh, NYU, uh, where he is the Hillel rabbi and the campus chaplain, has a campus in Abu Dhabi. Um, and so uh, the UAE was looking for someone to become the first chief rabbi because uh, tolerance and acceptance uh, of, of others, of religious minorities, etc., is important. Uh, the UAE sees it as a national Absolutely. value. And so they reached out, um, they reached out to Rabbi Sarna to, to create that position. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, these, th- there were relations un- uh, under the table for sure, um, including the relationship with AJC and, and American Jews. Um, but that is just a shadow of having full normalized relations. I mean, you mentioned Jordan a, a minute or two ago. Israelis don't go to lunch in Amman, right? Like geographically they could, the distance between me sitting here in Fairlawn and you sitting there in South Orange um, is, is probably a, for for those people who are not listening in New Jersey, uh, you know, maybe a a 40 minute drive with, uh, with some traffic, um, maybe a little less. Um, That's about the same from Jerusalem to Amman in theory, but that doesn't happen. But we are seeing a a very real willingness, uh, on, on the part of the Emiratis to open up the UAE, in particular Dubai and, and Abu Dhabi, because those are kind of the international destinations, um, to open that up to Israelis. Uh, Israelis who might have, you know, spent a, a, a beach weekend in a lot might now consider doing the same in, in Dubai. And that is entirely unprecedented um, in, uh, in Israel's relations with, with Arab countries. The other big thing that the Trump administration did with regards to its relationship with Israel is, of course, a couple of years ago when it moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. This was a a big move, a big statement. Some would say it was a bit controversial. I'm wondering your thoughts on that move. Yeah, I mean, so I was was in Israel at the time. when uh, when it was announced, um, I was there. AJC brings uh, a delegation each year of university presidents to Israel um, so that they can better understand the dynamics on the ground and explore possible partnerships uh, with Israeli universities, um, meet with Israelis and Palestinians. Um, we actually uh, were advised by our security consultants that we needed to cancel our um, our visit to Ramallah, which was scheduled to take place the, the same uh, just a couple days after that announcement, um, because um, because there was such a concern that there was going to be unrest on the Palestinian street. Um, in the end, uh, that didn't materialize. Uh, I, Protests here and there, yes, but um, I, I think that that holding these two events, uh, the the Abraham Accords uh, with the UAE and Bahrain, and the embassy relocation, holding them uh, up next to each other, kind of helps us see how a lot of the conventional wisdom has been wrong. Um, and you know, AJC is a is a nonpartisan uh, organization. Um, we we don't uh, support or oppose candidates for elective office. I'm, I'm not saying this because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wedded to the Trump administration, but we have to give them credit where credit is due and, and recognizing that there was a, a historic wrong that Israel was the only country in the world that didn't get to say where its capital was, um, at least uh, according to, to diplomatic recognition. And, and, 
and saying that's wrong and, and moving the American embassy uh, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and kicking off uh, slowly but surely uh, a, a migration of, of other countries' uh, diplomatic posts uh, as well from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, um, and also recognizing that the conventional wisdom that progress couldn't be made between Israel and the Arab states until uh, a, um, a final status solution had been reached with the Palestinians and saying, actually, that's not right. Just like you were saying a moment ago, Jesse, there's, there's already um, stuff going on under the table. So, so what, what would it take to bring that to the surface? I think we have to give the Trump administration credit. I think, honestly, I think a lot of us owe, owe apologies to Jared Kushner for all kinds of jokes that people were making uh, on Twitter about, you know, oh, he's read 10 books about the Middle East. So, uh, so now, you know, oh, oh, you know, he, he went to Frisch. And so he, he spent some time in Israel, you know, in, in high school. Um, so surely this is the person who's going to bring peace to the Middle East. Look, peace to the Middle East is premature, but he has brought a modicum of peace to the Middle East that wasn't there previously. Um, and, and that, um, that previous administrations had always assumed couldn't, couldn't be done. Um, so I, I think that, that the Trump administration deserves our, our applause and, and our gratitude for, for those, uh, for those two moves in particular. I'm struggling. And this is where I don't, I don't know what to do with this. Um, President Trump himself said on the campaign trail over the summer that he moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem for evangelicals and is surprised that evangelical Christians are more excited by that move than the Jewish people, end quotes. Um, what am I supposed to do with that when I, I want to celebrate um, the U.S. relationship with Israel, but it seems especially the far-right support of Israel is coming not to appease the Jewish community and not to strengthen the Jewish identity of Israel, but is rather to appease the evangelical base of the far right. Yeah. So, so look, so, I mean, that's, that's a problem, right? Like that's, that's, first of all, that's, that's politics for you. Um, it's, uh, it's it's not shocking that a president would have ulterior motives for doing what is uh, what we ultimately think is is the right thing. Um, I think that it is uniquely Trumpian that he came out and, and said, uh, as as you you know remind us, you know I, I did that for the evangelicals and um, uh, and uh, and that that makes me uncomfortable in in the same way that it makes you uncomfortable, um, but. Uh, at the end of the day, like that doesn't change the fact that these were good things for Israel and, and I would say good things for, for the Middle East at large and good things for America. Um, and uh, in, in that respect, I, I appreciate them. Traditionally, historically, the American Jewish community has voted Democratic in overwhelming numbers. In the 2016 election, uh, it was, I, I believe, 75, over 75% um, voted Democratic. Uh, at the 2018 midterms, it was even higher, I believe, with regards to turnout. Uh, and recent polling in the American Jewish community suggests that the numbers are, are about the same. Uh, overwhelmingly, three quarters of the American Jewish community supporting Biden over Trump. And we understand that the election is about so much more than the president. Uh, certainly, it's about the House, it's about the Senate, it's about governorships and state houses. Um, but for somebody who, as you acknowledge, has done so much to advance the 
U.S. celebration and recognition of Israel and the U.S.-Israel relationship, what do you make of the fact that the Jewish voter in this country isn't swayed to support him any more than they were four years ago? Yeah, I mean, that is... Um... The, the, these are trends that that predate Donald Trump. Uh, I, I mean, you know, you uh, you think back to uh, to Milton Himmelfarb, uh, who was a um, a, a renowned um, uh, American Jewish sociologist, happened to to work for um, for his whole career at the American Jewish uh, Committee, um, and uh, taught from time to time at, at places like the Jewish Theological Seminary, which you and I have both uh, frequented in our youth, um, and. Uh, Himmelfarb said Some would something. say we are still in our youth. <laughs> um, you are, for sure. Um, and, and, and my job keeps me young. Um, Himmelfarb said something that uh, I, I think would get him, um, would, would get him flayed alive today uh, because it is, it is not politically uh, correct. And, and you can consider this a, a, a trigger warning if you'd like. Um, he said, uh, American Jews earn like Episcopalians and vote like Puerto Ricans. Um, and uh, yeah, that's and pretty not politically correct. It, it, it's today. today it, I, I would not coin the phrase today, but when he said it, um, I think something like 30 uh, or uh, 40 years ago, um, that um, that gives us a sense of the fact that um, there's there's nothing new about American Jews uh, voting um, Democratic. The the shock would be if if that um, if that changed. I, I mean, you know, you think back to to 1973. Um, Israel's fighting the Yom Kippur War. Richard Nixon is in the White House. Richard Nixon, um, probably an anti-Semite. Uh, I, I I don't feel like I'm going too far out on a limb saying that he 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 did not have warm feelings toward Jews. Um, and he was well aware that the American Jewish community uh, had not voted for him. Uh, nevertheless, when Israel needed uh, critical uh, uh, military resupply um, during uh, the Yom Kippur War, remember a, a, a war in which Israel probably came closer than at any time since 1948 to no longer existing, um, uh, Nixon was, was there for Israel. Um, not because he felt that he was going to to win, you know, the the Jewish vote or or anything like that, um, but because American Jews from '48 uh, until then had done a good job in ensuring uh, that Israel remained a bipartisan issue. Um, that's a, a critical thing that we need to to work toward um, when we're talking about about how Israel intersects with American politics. Um, it's something that um, that is uh, rarer and rarer, um, but uh, but but. Uh, you know, we at AJC view it as, as part of our critical mission to ensure um, that, that Democrats and Republicans alike uh, appreciate uh, and, and support Israel. So if that's the case, then just to push you a bit further, me, the, the Jewish voter in America, uh, it, my vote for president should not be about Israel if we're making sure in organizations like AJC, we're making sure that the U.S.-Israel relationship is a bipartisan issue, um, that I should be focusing on other issues. Is, is that what you're suggesting? The, I, cer certainly, right, we've had other episodes of this podcast that have focused on Jewish views and values uh, with reproductive justice, with LGBTQ equality and rights, with food insecurity, racial justice, 
Yeah, I, I, I would like to see every American Jew consider AJC. I would like to see every American Jew consider Israel as a um, as an issue when they're determining how to vote for president, for their member of Congress, for their senator, governor, um, etc. I, I don't think that it should be the sole issue. I think that that would be um, that that would be myopic, um, and 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 I think that it misses like very important issues, some of which you just laid out that, uh, that we as, as citizens of this great country should be concerned about, uh, both domestically and, and in terms of, you know, the other 192 countries in the world that aren't Israel, um, or maybe 191 countries in the world that aren't Israel or the United States. Um, so, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to, to tell your listeners, Jesse, that, um, that they should vote, you know, purely based on Israel. Um, but, but I, I would say that as, as, passionate, committed Jews, um, we should have a care for the half of the world Jewish population that lives in Israel. Um, and, uh, and, and I don't, I don't think we need to, you know, kind of check that care at the door when we're, when we're, or the curtain, when we're stepping into the voting booth. So with that in mind, I would suggest that there's a difference between the U.S.-Israel relationship and having a care for half of the world's population that are living in Israel because I think we're at this very interesting point where one can argue that the relationship between the governments of Israel and the United States have never been stronger. I'm, I'm going to throw that out there. And the American Jewish community's view of the government of the United States and arguably the government in Israel has never been on more shaky ground uh, in the sense that the American Jewish community's view of President Trump is negative. Well, I don't think the president have ever, has ever had positive approval ratings since he launched his campaign. Um, and the overwhelming... By the way, not, view, not, not just among Jews, among, no, among right. Americans. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I would suggest, although don't quote me on this, that the view of the American Jewish community towards Netanyahu uh, is negative as well. Uh, certainly the view of Israelis towards Netanyahu, right? The vast majority of Israelis do not like Netanyahu, but the way their parliamentary system works is even though most people don't like him, he still ends up time and time again, they're going to probably end up with their fourth election soon, uh, ends up time and time again being reelected. And the only way he avoids going to jail is by being reelected. It's a familiar story that we have in this country. Um, and so we have these two things that are happening, that you have the strength of relationship between two figures that are increasingly saying the same thing. Uh, you have Netanyahu is questioning and challenging journalists in a way, in a, in a similar way that um, the president has been, really using the terms fake news. Um, challenging his political opponents, name calling, that sort of thing. Um, and yet uh, is in power, even though a minority of citizens supported him. I'm not sure there's a question there. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, I, I, I was just reading, look, I'll, I'll lay some cards out on the table here. Like, you know, we, we were talking about the the Emirates deal before. Like, I, 
I think that, that the United States deserves credit. I think that Prime Minister Netanyahu deserves a lot of credit for, for making that happen. And so I was kind of, you know, thinking about him in, in maybe a, a different light than I have before. So I, I, I went online and I ordered Anshul Pfeffer, the Haaretz journalist, I ordered his biography of, uh, of Prime Minister Netanyahu, which is called Bibi, um, and um, devoured it. It's a, it's a great read. Uh, I commend it to you and to your listeners. Um, and, and one thing that, that Pfeffer points out, and he wasn't the first person uh, I've seen pointed out, but, uh, but uh, just, just a recent one, he, he points out that um, Barack Obama received more votes from Jews than Prime Minister Netanyahu ever has, um, which is just an interesting thing to think about, to think about kind of these, these two poles uh, of the Jewish, of the global Jewish community that exist. One, um, one in the United States and one in Israel um, that exist in very different neighborhoods in the world that exist uh, with different degrees of prosperity, different degrees of security um, that, that share some values and, and differ on others. Um, and, um, and are, and I would say, and I think you would say are, 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 indel- are indelibly tied together. Um, but sometimes, you know, go in, 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 in different directions in, in terms of their politics. You know, what, what, what's worrying, and this takes us a little bit of field from, from the Jewish vote thing, and, and I'll, I'll leave it to you to steer us back on, on track. Uh, for, for years now, AJC in our annual um, survey of American Jewish opinion has been asking the question of um, American Jews, if you were to think of Israeli Jews as members of your family, are they your siblings? Are they your cousins? Are they distant relatives? Or are they not in your family at all? Um, and we have been seeing uh, the answer, not in your family at all, and, and distant relatives, we've been seeing those answer choices go up while the, the kind of more closely related um, uh, choices go down uh, in, in recent years. And, and that's for any number of reasons which relate to politics and don't, um, but, but is, is, certainly, uh, is certainly a troubling trend. Fascinating um, trend, and I think partially you're right relates to politics and partially doesn't. I'm wondering, in 2014, right before I arrived at Bethel, um, I came from Florida, it was the middle of an operation going on in Gaza, fighting between Israel and, and Hamas, and there was an article in the New York Times that came out that that basically referred to Israel as the third rail of rabbinic sermons, right? If we say that social security <laughs> is the, the third rail of politics, um, that Israel is a third rail for rabbis to speak about on the beam on the high holidays, that- Dan- I, be, I, bet, I bet social security is pretty easy for rabbis to speak about from the beam. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, <laughs> you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And that no matter what, people are going to disagree with my thoughts. I, yeah. I happen, uh, laying my cards on the table to have uh, pretty progressive views with regards to Israel. I believe uh, very much in a two-state solution, and I do not think that Israel will truly fulfill its potential uh, until it lives in harmony. I don't mean hand-in-hand, lovey-dovey harmony, but I mean peace uh, side-by-side with a Palestinian state. That's my own personal opinion. Um, right, that's we, we've always been taught that you make peace with your enemies, not with your friends. Uh, with that in mind, um, 
I'm interested in this trend with regards to the American Jewish community and their relationship with Israel, or as you said, seeing Israelis as distant relatives or not relatives, not family at all, and what to make of that. How can the American Jewish community strengthen their relationship with Israel? And how can the American Jewish community strengthen their relationship with Israel in a way that is uh, critical, but, but, but truly out of love? I always use the analogy that Zionism, and I, I consider myself a proud Zionist, that Zionism means to be lovingly critical, that it's only my spouse who can tell me that I, I look schlubby, right? That that my shirt and tie don't match, that my fly is open. When, when, <laughs> when you're being respectful of a colleague, you know, you're in a meeting, you, you ignore the fact that they have lipstick on their teeth, right? You ignore the fact that uh, their, their shirt is button incorrectly or something like that because it's awkward and you don't want to embarrass them but that's not love love is when you're able to tell somebody like like it is because they're going to love you no matter what criticism you throw their way sorry just the the question was the, the, so so the question specifically is how do we cultivate a relationship where the american jewish community can be critical of israel but that critic that criticism doesn't turn into anti-israel mentality um yeah yeah where, where, Look, where's I, that space yeah i mean um there's certainly a school of thought in the American Jewish community, uh, and and this you know maybe we associate more with our with our parents and and grandparents generation, but but I I think that there's certainly a grain of truth to it, which is that the, we can and 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 should be endlessly critical uh, about the the things that that have a direct uh, relationship, direct effect on on our ability, um, our relationship to Israel, our ability to be seen. Uh, uh, and, and exercise our rights in Israel. Um, things like uh, issues that I know that, that you are, are, are deeply concerned about, like, um, like the uh, Orthodox controlled monopoly over the chief rabbinate, um, like issues of uh, egalitarian prayer at the Western Wall. Uh, these are all things that were real uh, hot button, uh, kind of big ticket issues where it, it seemed like there might even be some movement on them probably about five years ago and, and have kind of faded away from, from the, the scene a little bit, um, not because they've been resolved, uh, unfortunately, but because uh, they haven't. Um, and, um, and, and those, I, I think, you know, uh, AJC certainly is, uh, speaks out on those and, and I think others should as well. Um, I'll, I'll come back to your, you know, your, your citing uh, of the New York Times uh, op-ed in, in 2014 when there was a, an operation going on in Gaza. Um, I was in Israel then. Um, and uh, by the way, I, I feel like I've, I've started two, two different anecdotes like that. Uh, fortunately, I, I have been able to spend a lot of time in Israel and, and I would encourage our listeners to, uh, to do the same when, when international travel is a thing again. Um, I was in Israel staffing a birthright trip. Uh, this was just before I started at, uh, at AJC. Um, and a birthright trip, uh, which you probably know, I assume you've, uh, you've, staffed one or, or two in, in your day. Um, but uh, a birthright trip usually has about 45 uh, American participants on it, uh, one, one busload. Um, mine had 19 um, because uh, so many American Jews were, I don't know if they were scared to go to Israel when there was something going on between Israel and Gaza, or if they just figured kind of on a transactional basis, you know, 
the American Jewish community tells me I get one of these for free. So I'm not going to do it at a time when, you know, uh, things are not going to be, are going to be less than ideal. But those 19 people came with me and we had a really weird time. I mean, we had a great time, but we couldn't go to Tel Aviv um, because Birthright determined that with rockets falling all up and down the coastal plain, um, we needed to, uh, we needed to avoid, um, to avoid Tel Aviv. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and that I think brings me to the place where a lot of people say, you know, American Jews shouldn't be critical, which is when it comes to security matters, when it, when it comes to the question of like, what happened, you know, ha- what does Israel do to keep Israelis alive? Uh, and, and, and what does Israel do in order to ensure that the Israelis, whether they are civilians or they are the, you know, civilians who are, who are drafted into the military and, and then are obviously soldiers, um, uh, to ensure that, that they are, are putting themselves at as little risk as possible. Um, so I, I think that, that, you know, often people say, you know, it's, it's not, it's not our kids who are fighting, uh, in, in the Israeli army. Um, it's, it's not us who are living, you know, uh, one, one short, you know, rocket arc away from, uh, from Gaza or from Southern Lebanon. Um, and so when it comes to, uh, to those security decisions, um, we need to, uh, we need to, to check our criticism. By the way, I'll just add as a, as a closing point of those 19 kids who came with me on birthright, um, three of them ended up serving in the Israeli army and making Aliyah. Um, so that is, uh, that is, that is a, a crazy ratio, I think. Um, I, I, I gather that it means that I'm, I'm the most successful birthright staff member ever. Um, and uh, I will eagerly, eagerly await my, uh, my medal in the mail from, uh, from Tugalit. If the goal is to get people to make Aliyah, uh, I'm not I, sure. I, I'm not sure that is the goal in creating Zionists. It, it wasn't. It, it it wasn't my goal when I set out, but uh, certainly, you know, I, I think 50% of the funding for birthright nowadays comes from the Israeli government. Um, something like 50%. So uh, I'm I'm sure that they're they're glad to have have more soldiers and and more citizens. You mentioned right that our children aren't serving in the IDF. Um, there are certain security issues that it's not necessarily the American Jewish community's rights to make those decisions. Um, you, you mentioned your colleague uh, Jason Isaacson before, um, and I know you don't speak for him, uh, but but I did full disclosure give you a hard time at the beginning of the summer for an article that that he wrote. Um, on behalf of the, the AJC of confronting the challenge of annexation when Netanyahu and his administration had intended on annexing uh, most of the West Bank. And part of the agreement of these Abraham Accords is that that was going to be delayed. Um, and so that is certainly a, a win um, well, the Palestinians have not been a part of this peace deal, have not been at the table, and I think that is a failure of Palestinian leadership. Full disclosure, I also think it's a failure of Netanyahu. I think he stays in power the longer he does not have a peace deal with the uh, Palestinians, but there's nobody on that side who is willing to negotiate with Israel right now. Uh, again, this is in Isaacson's piece, he said that if Israel ends up, uh, I'm, I'm generalizing his piece, but essentially if Israel ends up annexing the West Bank, we will love Israel anyway. And I'm, I guess I'm troubled, again, going back to my initial question, well, certainly we cannot 
make security decisions when we are not living there, when our, our sons and daughters are not serving in the military. What is one step too far, right? When do we say, I can't support what that government is doing. I can't support what they're doing anymore. One of my visceral reactions to everything Netanyahu does comes from the fact that I have these scars of, of seeing him on the news speak as the opposition leader during Rabin's tenure as prime minister and these effigies of, of Rabin uh, with a noose around his head and believing that his hate speech was the fuel that led to Yigal Amir's assassination of Rabin. And he ends up being the longest tenured prime minister in Israel's history at this point. Um, so how can I, I, right, how can I be critical? Uh, I, I get that security issues, right? That's not for me as a Jew who, even with a rise of anti-Semitism in, in this country, who feels pretty safe and secure living in a uh, large Jewish community in New Jersey, I, I get that I can't make security decisions. Um, but where is my voice in being critical of certain decisions, specifically with regards to the challenging relationship between Israelis and Palestinians? So look, so so just just a note first, um, you know, I, I remember uh, you are you're I guess six or seven years older than I am. Um, you re, you remember um, ninety four ninety five uh, more clearly than than I do. I, one of my first memories of life is of uh, my parents turning on the TV uh, Motzei Shabbat after Shabbat ended um, one day in uh, in nineteen ninety five and uh, and and them crying. Uh, I was I was four years old um, and they were crying because they just found out that Yitzhak Rabin had been assassinated. So that that is a that's a very powerful memory for me too. I my, my recollection of the whole kind of incitement thing that that people often um lob at, at netanyahu um my recollection is is non-existent and so i have to go off from the history books including from this biography that i i just read which i mentioned before written by a a, a, a routine critic of netanyahu um who says um basically like it is revisionist history to say that that netanyahu um was um you know was was responsible for leading this incitement or any way that he did in fact speak out against it um that you know he spoke out against it much more clearly than other members of the likud um so i, I just want to you know get get that on the record look when it comes to to the question i just want to push back a little bit because people will also say i mean i, I hate to be so critical people will also say that trump has condemned uh, white, you know, nationalists um, because he makes statements saying, "Of course, I condemn them." Um, but I mean, I mean, so 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 per so per per Pfeffer's book, um, literally, I I I I think I think you know, um, you you probably cheered uh, in in 2016 when when Michelle Obama said, "Don't boo, vote," uh, right? Like. Um, uh, Netanyahu, uh, like literally said, you know, Rabin is not a traitor, but we have to vote him out. Right. Like, like, like the, the, the equivalent of a, 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 a little less pithy than, than, uh, don't boo vote. Um, but, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's more along the lines of, of John McCain, uh, responding, uh, in 2008 to that woman who said, you know, I, I don't trust Barack Obama. He's an Arab. 
he said, no, he's, he's, he's not an Arab. He loves his country. By the way, I, I wouldn't have minded if, if he had said he's not an Arab and it, it wouldn't have been a problem if he were. Um, right. But, but, but that, that, that didn't come to McCain at the time. Um, Look, I we're 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 not, we're not going to get bogged down in this. I think I think that the the I I I recognize that historiog historiographically, a lot of people um, feel the same way about the history that that you do, um, uh, including some historians. So so I I don't want to I don't want to get bogged down in that. But 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 to talk about um, to talk about about Jason's piece and and as you acknowledged, I I don't speak for for Jason. Um, look. You spoke really movingly about about how you know the 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 best criticism the 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 sharpest criticism comes from a place of love, um, and and I I think that that is what is what Jason was doing. I mean I I can tell you that you know that there is there is no American Jewish organization um, that both criticizes the Netanyahu government and gets meetings with the Netanyahu government whenever we need them, um, other than AJC. Um, and um, if, if, if people take a look at that piece and, and they read it kind of from a, from a non-ideological perspective, they will see clear condemnation of the, the very idea of annexation coming from AJC. Um, and, and then a, a very real you know, conclusion, uh, which is, um, look, like, at, at the end of the day, like, someone has to decide, you know, is, is this the end of the road for, for us in Israel? And, and we know it's not. Uh, we, we know it's not. And, and so, like, wh why, not, why not say that? Um, a lot of AJC's work, and, and this I understand is, is really, um, it's not satisfying for people. Um, a lot of AJC's work is conducted behind the scenes and, and necessarily has to remain behind the scenes. Um, and so, um, and so, you know, you end up with, uh, with an op-ed like that from Jason that, that is, uh, is not going to, to, satisfy, um, to satisfy everyone. Now, let me just say this, though, um, because uh, there are many people, AJC among them, who were skeptical that annexation was ever going to come to fruition. Sure. Um, and was it a sort of build the wall promise? Yeah, so so you know there there are a lot of people who were skeptical about this idea that um, that annexation was ever going to come to fruition. Um, you know, uh, Netanyahu has never been annexationist. It's never been something he's spoken about. He's also seen as um, as incredibly conservative, not only in that he's like very right wing, which he's actually not very right wing as the Israeli political spectrum goes, uh, but but you know. Um, uh, conservative in that he doesn't like to do dangerous or, or risky things. Um, lo and behold, annexation didn't come to pass. Um, and, and if you listen to someone like Yusuf Al-Taiba, who's the Emirati ambassador to Washington, D.C., and uh, as of, I think, this morning, I think uh, Time Magazine just said he's one of the 100 most important people in the world or, or something like that. Um, he, he's a, a critically important uh, Emirati voice. Um, he has said um, now that, yeah, Israel and the UAE were on track for this kind of, a, of, a, um, of, of an accord, uh, but that the whole to-do with annexation uh, put it on the fast track. Um, because it it was uh, it was a crisis 
perhaps it was a manufactured crisis. Perhaps this was always a part of Netanyahu's endgame. Um, but it was, a, it, was a, it was a potential crisis between the two countries. Um, Otaiba uh, wrote an op-ed in um, Israel's leading newspaper, Yediyot Achronot. Um, and um, in, in Hebrew, I mean, translated into Hebrew. Um, and, um, and ultimately, Israel backed away from annexation and, uh, and, and instead got peace and normalization with the UAE and then, and then you know, soon to be peace and normalization with Bahrain. Um, and, and there are apparently four or five other Arab countries that are lining up to, uh, to, to, to join that, you know, peace and, and normalization with Israel train um, over the next year or two. Um, so, so, you know, either Netanyahu was, you know, pinned down by his right flank, had no option but to proceed with annexation, even though it's something he never wanted. Um, and um, only through the intervention of the United States, um, the Trump administration, by the way, um, and the Emiratis uh, was able to kind of wiggle out and, and, and present something that would be more popular to the Israeli public than annexation, which isn't that popular in the Israeli public. Um, or all along, Netanyahu kind of had this end game in mind that annexation was not something he was interested in, but that it was a chip that he could play in order to, um, to bring about uh, really a, a diplomatic coup for Israel. Either way, the people who lost their heads over annexation in the American Jewish community, um, and and and, Myself I add, and 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 I would add the the number of American Jewish organizations that um, fundraised uh, over the issue of you know we are the only people who can stop annexation. Um, they they end up I, I I say this with all due respect I think they end up looking a little silly. By the way, I, I was concerned about annexation too, right? Like AJC was ultimately concerned about annexation, but but I think that we did it in 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 a tone and a tenor um, of of an organization that recognized that there were bigger things afoot, um, and and that this ultimately was not something that was going to be um, the um, you know the, the the final nail in the coffin of of Israel any possibility for peace between you know Israelis and, and Arabs or um, or you know the 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 end of, of the American Jewish Israeli relationship um, you know and 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 ultimately uh, we see uh, we see a, a very different reality uh, present itself than than what we were looking at just a few months ago. Um, two last questions for you one going back to the UAE deal, there was an article that recently came out that focused on the fighter jets that uh, mm -hmm. America is prepared to sell to the United Arab Emirates. And there was all along this understanding that there would be a military advantage um, that America gives to Israel so that Israel can properly defend itself. And yeah, the as qualitative a military edge. Right, the QME. Mm -hmm. um, and as a result, was not uh, in, in partnership selling fighter jets to other Arab countries to other countries in the Middle East. Is there concern that by doing so, this country that now has new normalized relations with Israel, something could change and all of a sudden we are giving weapons of war potentially to a country that could change its mind. And, you know, peace is um, a beautiful thing. And also we know that peace can always Fragile. turn to something else uh, uh, with a snap of our fingers. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that this will be um, this will this will all play out in Congress. I think I don't know how much how much play it'll get in 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 the press because there are so many other things for us to be exercised about. Um, but uh, but but this is I mean you're you're right to ask the question. It's it's not uncontroversial. Actually, I'll just. Um, you were kind enough to mention uh, AJC's People of the Pod, uh, which I hope uh, your listeners will subscribe to. I'll just put in a plug that um, uh, last week I had on um, uh, Israel Nitsan, uh, who's the acting uh, Consul General of Israel uh, in New York, um, and who, interestingly enough, previously was uh, the Deputy Ambassador uh, of Israel in Egypt, um, including during the Arab Spring uh, in in 2011, and, and had to be evacuated from uh, from Egypt. Um, so he so he really knows how how peace can be fragile. Um, and and I, I asked him a, a similar question, and, and his answer was uh, was interesting. And I, I think I think your listeners would uh, would would be glad to to hear it. I'll, I'll also just say that um, AJC always does programming. Just since we started off talking about electoral politics, AJC does programming every four years at the Republican National Convention and the Democratic National Convention. Um, this year we did that uh, virtually and we had some, some great programs, uh, including on the podcast, we featured conversations uh, with um, Hallie Seufer, um, who's kind of the, the, yeah, she's great. the, the top Jewish Democrat. Um, she runs the, the National Jewish Democratic Council, uh, I think it's called. Um, and, uh, and, and Matt Brooks, uh, who's kind of the top Jewish Republican, who runs the uh, Republican Jewish Coalition, the RJC, um, and uh, so we had conversations with uh, with each of them, uh, separated by a week, and and those are kind of interesting. Uh, if if I can add them as like a, a Appendix A and Appendix B to our conversation, um, that that I think uh, I think your your listeners would would be interested in, in checking out. Appreciate that. Um, my last real question for you. Um, I think we made it clear that one of the reasons that the American Jewish community um, over decades has, with a, a crazy high percentage, supported Democrats over Republicans is because of the left-leaning nature of the American Jewish community, um, more so than in Israel. And that may be why AJC see these trends of American Jews saying, uh, Israelis are my distant relative or not related at all. What do I do with somebody I mentioned earlier who... who I'm a, a peacenik, right? I grew up as a kid believing that Rabin what was the future of Israel. Um, what do I do with the non-existent left in, in Israel, right? Yes, there's merits, but merits will always be a small portion uh, of Israel. And yes, there's um, a dying, right, right, right. The Labor Party, the party of Ben-Gurion doesn't exist anymore. Um, When we talked about um, blue and whites uh, as the the main challenger to Netanyahu's Likud party, that wasn't a left party. That that was a a left of Netanyahu party. But um, well, yeah, Ir Lapid is a a centrist. Um, the, The party necessarily wasn't. Yeah. Um, uh, so, f- first of all, just a, a historical note. Um, you know, uh, 
the Labour Party should 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 live and be well. Uh, you know, AJC doesn't have any any kind of you know political preference in uh, in Israel, just like we don't have a, a political preference in uh, in the United States. Of course, there are policies that we care about in, in both instances, but but the politics we stay out of. I'll just say, it's it's not that weird for a, a country's founding party to die out uh, at some point. Um, and and in fact, if you look at at um, at the United States, yeah, the Democratic uh, I mean, Republicans, right, and and yeah. and the and the the I guess the the Whig Party, uh, which was you know, uh, George Washington didn't didn't have a party famously, but uh, but but the Whig Party, which was kind of there from from early on, um, you know, faded away by uh, by 1860 and and uh, even before that, and and then Lincoln, you know, kind of was the founder of the Republican party, um, which, which contemporary Republicans love to talk about. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, so, 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 so first of all, like there's, there's that, um, there's that kind of historical note that, you know, just, just because the labor party is where it is today doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't ever going to be a, a strong, robust, uh, left in Israel. Um, in fact, there are, there are some kind of left-wing leaders in Israel who think that the Labour Party will have to die. Um, and, and, and that way, some of kind of the negative associations uh, of the Labour Party um, can, can be left behind uh, by, uh, by progressives in Israel. Um, you know, of, of course, the, uh, about half of, of the Jews in Israel are of Mizrahi origin, are of, you know, Eastern, you know, Arab country origin. Um, and those people harbor tremendous resentment toward the Labour Party. Um, so, uh, for all kind for, for good reasons, for all kinds of, of, of bad policies that the labor party, um, uh, had toward, toward them during, uh, during their, you know, uninterrupted 30 years of, of power at the beginning of the state. Um, what, what can you do? What can you do as someone who is, uh, who is on the left, uh, who wants to, you know, support left-wing folks in Israel? I, I think there are plenty of left-wing folks in Israel. I think that there are like great, uh, Israeli, um, Israeli certainly like there's a lot of Israeli media that uh, that that runs left. Um, there are there are a lot of Israeli NGOs. Uh, you can and should be uh, focused on issues not only uh, of issues affecting the Palestinians, uh, but what about issues of civil rights in Israel affecting Arab Israelis? Um, those are issues where uh, a lot of Israelis. Um, uh, where Israel is much less divided than it is when it comes to um, to um, to the Palestinian issue, uh, issues around uh, asylum seekers in Israel, um, people who come from uh, from Africa to Israel, um, in in much the same way that we have people who come uh, through our southern border uh, seeking to uh, to evade, um, you know, uh, bad conditions uh, in in their home countries, um, issues of of women's rights and gay rights, um, things like that. There are there are robust conversations uh, and, and robust activism that takes place in Israel around those issues, including among people who are not peaceniks, right? Including among people um, who are, um, who uh, don't have that much sympathy for, uh, for, uh, for the Palestinians and, and, and don't see that as kind of like the, the, the prime issue. You know, it's, it's, um, you are concerned, I gather, about the current Israeli government, um, but it is worth noting. I'm not going to, to try to convince you that it, you know, redeems them from everything you're concerned about. But it's worth noting that this current government has two uh, LGBT ministers in it, 
um, after the last one had the first LGBT minister, the last one, which was also a right-wing government. Um, it has the first ever Ethiopian um, uh, minister uh, who happens to be a, a, a woman. Um, it has, you know, I, I forget if it's a record number of, of female ministers or not, but it's certainly plenty of, of female ministers. So, so in terms of, of representation issues, in terms of LGBT issues, things like that, um, those don't break down around, along the kind of neat, you know, hawk or dove lines that we tend to assume define the right and the left in Israel. Um, and, and I think that, um, I think that that's, I don't think I've told you anything you didn't know before, Jesse. Um, but but I think that that's something that can give uh, give you know someone with your you know political inclinations uh, give you give you some hope, give you some things to focus on that that are removed from kind of this, if not dead end, then certainly you know stagnated issue around Israelis and Palestinians, um, and 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 give you a way of. Uh, of, of feeling more connected uh, to Israel by thinking about those things, interestingly enough, right? Like we had this conversation about should American Jews be concerned about Israel, meaning generally the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, or be concerned about our domestic issues when we go into the, um, into the voting booth? Um, well, what about if we're concerned with our domestic issues and we're concerned with Israel's domestic issues as well, um, which line up? in many instances with those issues. That would be very interesting. Um, and, that, and that might foster um, a, healthier, um, a healthier dialogue uh, and, and, and sense of, of shared concerns uh, among American Jews and Israelis. Safi, you spoke a lot about the Trump administration and his presidency and his accomplishments with regards to uh, strengthening the US-Israel relationship. Vice President Biden uh, has been a leader in this country for decades, serving in the Senate and then eight years as vice president. What about his relationship with Israel and his policies if he were to be elected president? Oh my God. I mean, when it, when it comes to Israel and to the U.S.-Israel relationship and to American support for Israel, I don't think American Jews have a bad option. Um, Vice President Biden is someone who, uh, you know, if, if, if you've ever been in a room where, 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 where Israel comes up and, and President Biden has the microphone, you have heard him share his story about uh, the first time he traveled to Israel um, as a young senator. Um, and he Golda met, Meir. met Golda Meir. <laughs> I've heard um, it. And, uh, and, and that is something that clearly had an impression on him. I mean, uh, Biden uh, was elected to the Senate when he was um, uh, 29, I think. Um, and, uh, and, and turned 30 and then was able to take his seat. Uh, this was in, I guess, 72. Um, and uh, someone can, can check those dates um, and tweet angry things at me if I'm wrong. Um, uh, but, um, but That's all correct. <laughs> um, but um, but he, uh, you know, he, from, from that moment, where, when he traveled to Israel as a young senator and met Golda Meir, he has known every single Israeli prime minister um, he gets along with them well. He and, and Prime Minister Netanyahu um, have had kind of a, a, a funny rapport. Um, uh, Netanyahu used to keep in his office, um, I, I don't know if it's still there or not, but he used to keep in his office, um, you know, like a, a, a signed uh, something from Biden that said, uh, I think the message was something like, Bibi, I don't agree with a single word you say, but I love you. Um, which like, 
by the way, like that, that feels like Biden, right? Like, like, like you, you can see him saying that um, in, in, in the way that we all as, as Americans who have known Joe Biden for so long kind of feel like we know Joe Biden. Um, uh, he is, you know, not from kind of what's often thought of as kind of the, the, the radical left wing of the party. He's very much a, a, a traditionalist, a, a, a mainstream person. He has a long record when it comes to Israel. Um, so, you know, uh, there, there, are, there are all kinds of things that we should applaud when it comes to, to what the Trump administration has done in the last four years. I don't think a single, um, I, I, if, if you're thinking about Israel when you step into the ballot box, I don't think there's any reason to have any hesitation to, to pull the lever for Donald Trump. And I don't think there's any reason to have any hesitation to pull the lever uh, for, uh, for, for Joe Biden. Um, uh, what, you know, again, when it, when it comes to, uh, to, to American support for Israel. You know, I was a, a big fan of President Obama. Obama did not have the greatest relationship with with Netanyahu. Um, they disagreed publicly, um, famously, when Netanyahu accepted an invitation to speak um, in front of Congress, um, that Speaker of the House Boehner invited him, um, and Obama was upset and insulted. Um, well, Biden was... Obama's vice president, you're saying that the Biden-Netanyahu relationship is different than the Obama-Netanyahu relationship. Yeah, I mean, Joe Biden is not Barack Obama. Um, I think that they, I think that, that they bring different things to the presidency. Um, and uh, I think, you know, I think one thing that, that, that we've seen demonstrated over, over decades uh, is that uh, Joe Biden uh, has an affection for, uh, for Israel and for its leaders. Um, and, um, you know, he was, a, he was a great kind of, you know, great soldier in, in, in the Obama administration. But, um, you know, I, 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 I don't think that, that when it comes to Israel where, uh, we're signing up for a, a third a third term of of Barack Obama um, when when you know contemplating voting for uh, for Joe Biden. Thank you so much, Sefi, for this lively conversation, for being a sparring partner, letting me challenge you, your thoughts about the U.S. Israel relationship, and to all of our listeners, don't forget to vote. Election Day is upon us. Every vote matters. Every vote counts. In fact, election day has the the election has started. Early voting has started in states across the country. So please make sure you take seriously your role in this democracy and do not forget to vote. If you have any thoughts for me, you can always tweet me at j m o l i t z k y. Any thoughts for Sethi, you can follow him on Twitter at s e f f i k o g e n. And don't forget to vote. Thank you, Sefi, for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Go vote, everyone. Take care.